0: Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Is Israel losing support? Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer kashenka On this Wednesday, December 13. Glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour.
1: President Biden says indiscriminate bombing in Gaza is costing Israel sympathy. Also, he's at odds with Israel's prime minister on post-war Gaza.
0: Congress is still wrestling over how it could send further aid to Ukraine. Hear the latest plea for help from Ukraine's president.
1: Harvard is giving its full support to school president Claudine Gay, who has been under fire for remarks about anti-Semitism on campus.
0: And the new food debate do potatoes count as vegetables? Uh,
2: The nutritionist that I spoke with cautioned that while the potato itself is healthy, a lot does depend on how we eat it. And in America, we eat a lot of potatoes as French fries. So that does diminish its health benefits to some extent.
0: Christina Peterson at the Wall Street Journal and a government committee considering putting the potato into a bin with rice and other carbs in new dietary guidelines. Republicans in Congress have heard a last-ditch plea for more funding from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and President Biden. For Mr. Zelensky, it was his third trip to Washington yesterday since Russia invaded Ukraine nearly two years ago. He met with Democratic and Republican lawmakers first before heading to the White House in an all-day lobbying blitz. Ukraine can now tackle the Russian dictatorship so our children and other nations... One half to shed their blood. Several Republican lawmakers have said they won't approve additional funding for Ukraine without significant security measures at the U.S.-Mexico border. Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina. Not
3: negotiating, walking away and letting us go for two or three weeks without negotiating, in my opinion, is irresponsible. Uh, We've got to move in real time.
0: The window of opportunity is closing. Both chambers of Congress are scheduled to leave town for the holidays at the end of this week. Well, the Senate is working to finish and pass a bipartisan package funding Ukraine's effort to defend itself against the Russian invasion. A bipartisan working group of senators has made next to no progress, though, in weeks on a border security deal, which would be added to a defense spending package that includes assistance for ukraine israel and taiwan an update from emily jacobs congressional reporter at the washington examiner emily where are we on this
4: well right now things are developing pretty quickly and so where we are right right now may not be where we are in a few hours but at the moment The two lead negotiators, Chris Murphy and James Langford, are working through a couple of sticking points. Now, there have been different reports about what those sticking points are, whether they relate to asylum policy or expedited removals. They are remaining close to the the vest with what they want to reveal, but they are not at a point where they have a deal. Now, this is the last week of the session for Congress. Congress goes home for two weeks after this and then comes back in the new year. There really won't be time for Congress to get this done in January. So the the deadline to do this is now. So if they can reach a deal by the end of this week, early next week, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell will have members come in during their vacation despite their complaints, and they will uh, be brought in to vote and pass this thing and oh, send wow. it to the House.
0: Because, uh, as you point out, McConnell and Schumer are are basically on the same page with, with the, the funding, right? And, and the idea that security measures are going to be in there, it's just not clear which ones, right?
4: Yes, so the only area where McConnell and Schumer disagree on this particular bill is on the border. Republicans have argued that Biden, including border language in his defense supplemental request, his $106 billion request, was an opening for there to be substantial border language in the bill that would result in enough of a percentage increase in illegal border crossings to satisfy Republicans. Democrats Argue that they have the majority in both the House, in both the Senate and the White House, and for that reason, they don't really need to give that much mm. on this matter. But Republicans are holding firm, and that is where McConnell and Schumer have split on this on this package. Um, We're
0: speaking with Emily Jacobs, congressional reporter at the Washington Examiner. Her story is called McConnell's Ukraine support tested by Zelensky visit and GOP border fight. Um, We have to discuss the House in all of this too. I mean, how, how will the House factor in?
4: Well, that really remains to be seen. What senators are hoping is that if they can pass this package with a big bipartisan majority and 30 or so Republicans saying that these are credible changes to border policy that they can pressure house speaker mike johnson into into bringing the house back during recess and calling for a vote on the package johnson has told senate republicans i've spoken to a lot of members in the last week he is he continues to tell them that he is committed to bringing a package up for a vote including during the christmas recess but that is only if there are serious border changes in the bill.
0: Is Mitch McConnell's credibility as a leader on the line here?
4: I, I don't know if his credibility is on the line. I think what is what is certainly going to be brought into question if this deal does fall apart is how much control he has over the conference. He already had one leadership fight two years ago or a year ago, excuse me, and he is in what appears to be the twilight of his career. So if if he is not able to maintain control over his conference during the zenith of his career, it it questions what kind of legacy he's going to have. It brings that into question.
0: All right. Thanks, Emily. Emily Jacobs, congressional reporter at the Washington Examiner. President Biden says Israel has conducted indiscriminate bombing in Gaza while trying to root out Hamas terrorists, an approach that's costing it some support from around the world. We get more from this morning's Dave Duncan. Speaking at a fundraiser, Biden suggested that a hardline stance has prevented Israeli Prime Minister
3: Benjamin Netanyahu from accepting the Biden administration's post-war plan to have the Palestinian Authority take over Gaza. In a public pushback, Netanyahu said he will not allow those who finance, support, and educate for terrorism entry into Gaza, referring to the Palestinian Authority. Mr. Biden also said members of the Israeli government want
0: retribution against all Palestinians, not just Hamas. Gordon. Thanks, Dave. On a related note, the Wall Street Journal says Israel's military has begun pumping seawater from the Mediterranean into Hamas's vast complex of tunnels in Gaza, part of an intensive effort to destroy the underground infrastructure that's seen as critical to the group's operations. It's believed some hostages are being held in those tunnels as well. Did you know traditional bedsheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle-Made bedsheets. Miracle-Made uses silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermoregulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle-Made is self-cleaning, self-cooling, luxurious, eco-friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trimiracle.com. Dot com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-Made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, TryMiracle.com slash Gordon. TryMiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-Made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. Thanks for being with us. Welcome into Wednesday. On the presidential campaign trail, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu has endorsed Republican candidate Nikki Haley at a town hall last night in Manchester. Mr. Sununu, who once considered a presidential bid of his own, joined the former South Carolina governor on the first night of her uh, three-day campaign swing in New Hampshire.
1: To go and get endorsed by the live, free, or die governor is about as rock solid of an endorsement as we could hope for.
0: The New Hampshire primary is in 41 days. Meanwhile, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis showed new urgency in taking on Donald Trump, attacking the former president at a CNN town hall in Iowa, with the state's caucuses less than five weeks away.
1: I think the first three years of the Trump administration, the economy's
0: better than it has been. But that last year with COVID, I think was mishandled dramatically. DeSantis said Trump set the stage for rising inflation, didn't complete the wall on the border, and is flip-flopping on the right to life. 20 minutes after the hour on This Morning, here's Jennifer Koschenko. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. More than
1: 190 governments at the U.N. Climate Conference approved an agreement today calling for the world to transition away from fossil fuels and accord the bridges differences between big energy-producing nations and countries that want to completely phase out coal, oil, and natural gas. The deal, the result of all-night talks, calls for transitioning away from fossil fuels and energy systems in a just, orderly and equitable manner. The goal is to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. COP28 President Sultan Al-Jabur. Jabir. is an enhanced, balanced, but make no mistake, historic package to accelerate Action. The deal marks the first time a U.N. climate agreement has called for governments to cut back on all fossil fuels. Number two. President Biden says Israel is losing support over its indiscriminate bombing of Gaza and that Benjamin Netanyahu should change, exposing a new rift in relations with the Israeli prime minister. Biden's remarks made to donors were his most critical to date of Netanyahu's handling of Israel's war in Gaza. Israel's retaliation against the Hamas October attack has killed 18,000 people, wounded 50,000 and created a humanitarian crisis.
0: Number
2: three.
1: Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky drew a sympathetic reception from Congress in a trip to Washington, but he failed to break an impasse over military aid to his country as the funding package he pressed for becomes enmeshed in U.S. politics.
0: And this motto resonates not only in our country, not only in our hearts, not only in Ukraine, but also in Poland and Baltic states, Moldova and others. When freedom is strong in one country, it is strong everywhere.
1: Many lawmakers of both parties support new aid sought by Ukraine, but Republicans are demanding a crackdown on migrant crossings at the southern border as a condition for their votes. If affordability is a top priority on your retirement destination wish list, you may want to consider Ohio as a potential locale. Youngstown writes uh, as the most affordable place to retire in the U.S., according to a U.S. News and World Report study, which examined things like housing affordability, retiree taxes, and access to quality health care. Also on the list hickory north carolina springfield missouri and brownsville texas surprisingly no florida cities made the list of affordable places to retire in fact naples actually ranks as the eighth most expensive how about our home
0: state of new jersey jen anywhere
1: on that list um yeah yes, wh- i'm
0: staying here <laughs> there's a new cohort of dollhouse enthusiasts shaping Uh, shaking up how grown-ups indulge in the classic children's hobby. Instead of outfitting old-timey homes with an old-timey decor, they're assembling contemporary miniature ones packed with tiny versions of trendy trappings, and they're spending big money. Here's Sarah Needleman at the Wall Street Journal. Sarah, what's happening?
5: People have been decorating dollhouses um, for a long time. I mean, the the hobby goes back hundreds of years. Uh, But what's happened more recently is that uh, people newcomers have, have taken up pastime. they've been reeled in by social media, reality TV, especially during the pandemic, a lot of people started getting into it during then. And, and they've taken a really uh, modern twist on it because traditionally we've seen a lot of dollhouses that are sort of old timey Victorian homes, old timey decor. And these folks are building miniature homes that look just like the real homes today. And they're decorating them with the kind of trappings you would find on sale in stores right now, like Ikea and West Elm. And so um, it's a little bit of a different take on the tradition. And and sometimes the homes themselves are not houses like we think of a, you know, they're more like a a brownstone apartment. Uh, One woman had a a very industrial type house built for her. It was like shipping containers stacked on top of each other. Oh, wow. Um, And then she went inside and decorated it very, very modern. So it's it's a little bit of a new twist uh, on an old hobby.
0: I thought it was uh, is interesting. Uh, some people just think this is a way to decompress.
5: Yeah, uh, they find it really relaxing as a it's a creative outlet uh, where they really focus and put their minds into it, and they're sort of like in this little world for an hour, I guess pun intended. <laughs> um, but they're they're really um, you know zoned in, and it's it's a way to relax. It's it's sort of like how um, people do model trains and model boats and things like that. It's just. Uh, uh, on a broader scale because um, they're decorating an entire house from top to bottom. Or sometimes they are doing just rooms, um, but there's incredible amount of detail in it. And uh, it, it it takes a lot of patience to do it. So you really have to stay focused. And that's why it helps um, people kind of tune out from the stresses of maybe you know their day-to-day job hmm. or family life.
0: Yeah, we're speaking with Sarah Needleman, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Her story is called They're Spending Thousands Decorating Homes. No one will ever go inside. And she's talking about dollhouses. And some people spend big bucks, too, right? What'd you find here?
5: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, each of these little tiny items can be very expensive. So um, you might have a, this, this one uh, artisan I spoke to. He sells an apothecary chest for $169. Mm. And we're talking, you know, something that's just like a couple inches tall. Um, he sells a teeny tiny electric guitar for $145. It does not work. Um, but, um, you know, these are just tiny one little thing and you add them up we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars all together so um it's kind of an expensive hobby uh unless you could be creative and maybe make some things on your own um but if you really want the the good stuff that's handcrafted and and really uh spot on replica of what a full-size furniture piece of furniture would look like um you may be spending you know several hundred dollars on a single item
0: Sarah. Sarah Needleman, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Hey everyone, it's Gordon Deal here to talk about some of the most fun you can have if you love sports, and that's with prize picks prize picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in north america you pick more than or less than on a handful of player projections and watch the winnings roll in for example mix and match football and basketball maybe your entry is christian mccaffrey for more than 99 yards rushing and jason tatum for fewer than eight rebounds if you know your stuff you can turn 10 bucks into 250 dollars. With just a few taps, my friends and I love it. To get started and have your first deposit matched up to $100, go to prizepicks.com/deal and use code DEAL. Also, if a player you pick gets injured and leaves the game, PrizePicks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Your player is rebooted. PrizePicks.com/deal and use the code DEAL. That's prizepicks.com/deal. And the code DEAL. Again, prizepickscom slash DEAL and code DEAL. Bringing the world to your door every morning. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome until Wednesday, December 13. Gordon Deal with Jennifer Koshenka. Some of our top stories and headlines. Biden and Netanyahu disagree publicly about post-war Gaza, Israel's military, reportedly pumping seawater into Hamas tunnels to flood out the terrorists. Congress still at an impasse over funding for Ukraine, despite an in-person plea from Ukraine's president. A U.N. climate conference calls for the world to transition away from fossil fuels. Actor Andre Brouwer from Brooklyn Nine-Nine has died at 61. NBC won't be using Al Michaels during the NFL playoffs and managing unwanted holiday invites. That story in about 20 minutes. The Federal Reserve finishes two days of meetings today and will make its announcement about interest rates in the afternoon. A preview from Bankrate Chief Financial Analyst Greg McBride. Greg, what about the pause we're on?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think this pause in interest rates that we've been on really since their last hike in July is more like done, even if they don't come out and say that. Uh, We've gotten to the point where inflation has come down. It still has a ways to go. But we're hearing more and more from the Fed that they feel like policy is tight enough to get inflation to where they want to be. It just, it takes, it's just a matter of time. So I think that's a clear indicator that they're, they're about done raising interest rates. Uh, and if we continue to see improvement on the inflation front, there's no need to raise them further. Uh, and then, of course, the conjecture switches immediately to, well, how soon are they going to cut rates? And that's where The the Fed, I think, is going to maintain this this tough talk, this posture about rates staying high
0: for some time. I think some surveys indicate uh, most investors feel like May would be about the time the Fed would begin to cut if they were going to cut.
3: Yeah, and time will tell. I mean, some of those uh, last week, some of those expectations had moved up to March, uh, which after the employment report Friday, I think everybody kind of thought the better of that. So, uh, you know, the bottom line is not even the Fed knows. It's really going to depend on the economic data over the coming months. But, uh, you know, I think at this point, the Fed is not going to raise interest rates at this meeting. They're probably not going to raise interest rates again, even if they don't come out and say that. And the updated economic projections that they provide at this meeting are going to get a lot of scrutiny and specifically, what are their expectations for uh, the inflation, the economy and interest rates in 2024? How active do they see themselves being? At what point do they see themselves beginning to cut rates and cut them uh, more aggressively? And then what's the uh, projected path for inflation and the economy? That's ultimately what's going to drive their decisions.
0: We're speaking with Greg Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst at Bankrate.com. We're talking about what the Fed will do at its meeting this week. Does the Fed at some point begin looking at different data?
3: I don't know that they look at different data because they look at a very broad range of of,
0: of data yeah or or weigh uh, different data differently
3: at this point, I would say no i, I think they continue to to you know sort of circle around uh, the labor market and, and inflation as as really the the key metrics of. Are they accomplishing what they want to? And the economy has been very resilient, which is a good thing. Uh, The labor market has cooled a little bit. I think they probably want it to cool a little bit more. And inflation's come down, but we still have a bit of a ways to go. They want to get inflation to 2%, and at the core level, it's right around 3.5% now. So still a a, a ways to go there. And I think that what you're gonna continue to to hear from the Fed is that that they're gonna keep rates high enough uh, long enough to make sure that inflation gets down to 2% uh, and they'll be monitoring the the health of the economy uh, and that that will ultimately dictate when they need to change course in 2024.
0: I think there was a headline in the Wall Street Journal in the past couple of days, which did reference something along the lines of, the Fed may have actually achieved this soft landing. Uh, how do you see it?
3: it? Yeah, defying all expectations. You know, if we can, when we came into 2023, the widespread expectation was that the economy was going to be in a recession uh, right about now. And that hasn't borne out. The economy's been very resilient. Job market's been pretty robust all year long. And yet at the same token, uh, the Fed was able to raise rates a few more times. Uh, inflation has been coming down, uh, still a ways to go. Uh, and so the odds of that soft landing, uh, the soft landing being we get inflation down to 2% without tanking the economy into a recession that that is, uh, has, is the odds of that have certainly increased. And I think now it's it's probably more likely than not. And just to, to say how rare that is, history is not on the Fed side. History suggests that whenever the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, it usually doesn't end well, and particularly when it's in the context of inflation. So. Yeah, they've raised interest rates at the fastest pace in 40 years. Uh, if they're able to pull off the soft landing on that, uh, you know, that's, you know, that, that kudos to them because there weren't a whole lot of. Uh, expectations that they were going to be able to do that.
0: Thanks, Greg. Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst at Bankrate.com. Welcome into Wednesday. The U.S. Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee has a decision to make. Should potatoes be counted as vegetables? It's a debate we'll be hearing as the Department of Agriculture and Health and Human Services weigh updates to national diet guidelines for 2025. Potatoes could uproot those from uh or they could rather uproot potatoes from the vegetable bin and toss them in with a broader category of rice, other grains, and carbohydrates. It's a story by Christina Peterson, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Christina set this up.
2: So in truth, this is a long-running debate, and I know many families, especially those with children, debate whether potatoes should count as a vegetable. Mm -hmm. But it has new salience right now because the dietary guidelines are being updated. That happens every five years. And the first step of that is that a scientific advisory panel reviews all the recent research and looks at what needs to be changed. And one of the things that they're looking at now is whether the five food groups, which are fruits, vegetables, grains, dairy, and protein m- makes sense the way that foods are categorized among those five different groups. And and they are looking at whether people consume carbohydrates that are mostly reflected in the grains category. For example, some people eat rice with dinner, some people eat potatoes, some people eat wheat bread. So they wanna make sure that everyone's getting enough of the important nutrients.
0: Okay, so so vegetables, I'm sorry, potatoes are going to remain a vegetable, but a different kind, or they might just find themselves in a new category potatoes.
2: Yeah, we don't really know. Right now, potatoes are considered a starchy vegetable, and the potato industry is very nervous that any kind of potential reclassification of potatoes could align them with grains or other carbohydrates and away from the rest of the vegetable group and, you know, vegetables are considered very virtuous and they are promoted for healthful eating and and pretty importantly, the dietary guidelines are used to shape school meals. And in just in general, the health advice that's given to Americans. So there's concern from the potato industry that potatoes might be labeled something other than a vegetable.
0: Speaking of the potato industry, uh, you spoke to this guy who's uh, the executive director of the Washington State Potato Commission. He did like a two month potato only diet, right? Is, <laughs> what, would, what did he right. find out?
2: I was fascinated to learn that there are many people who have done a diet consisting of solely potatoes. So yes, Chris Voigt, the head of the Washington State Potato Commission, did a 60-day all-potato diet back in 2010 in protest of a different but kind of similar federal restriction on potatoes at the time. And he he was doing it to make a point, but he said, in the process, he lost 21 pounds, his cholesterol was lowered, and his wife reported that he stopped snoring. <laughs> he is not still on an all potatoes diet, but he still does eat a lot of potatoes.
0: Mm. We're speaking with Christina Peterson, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Her story is called, "Does that potato count as a vegetable? What qualifies it, I guess, as a vegetable in the first place? Like uh, you know, what makes it similar to say a, a carrot or lettuce or celery?
2: Yeah, I think that's just its botanical classification. And it does have important nutrients, um, such as potassium, that we need to consume um, to stay alive. The nutritionist that I spoke with cautioned that while the potato itself is healthy, a lot does depend on how we eat it. And in America, we eat a lot of potatoes as french fries. So that does diminish its health benefits to some extent.
0: What do other countries do with potatoes in terms of how they qualify as a food or in a food category?
2: Yeah. So at least in the UK, potatoes are considered a vegetable, but they don't qualify towards the five a day recommended recommendation of fruit and vegetable servings. Oh, okay. And this came up in kind of a funny way because there was an episode. I think actually several, of the British cartoon Peppa Pig in which singing uh, super potato urges children to eat their vegetables. And I spoke with a surprising number of parents who felt that potato is not the best qualified vegetable to be urging children to eat their veg- other vegetables for that very reason that it doesn't really count in the UK as part of your Five
0: a day. Thanks, Christina. Christina Peterson, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Dell's holiday event is one of their biggest sales of the year. Shop limited time deals on laptops like the stylish, innovative XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform. Plus, save big on ultra sharp monitors and top brand accessories. The perfect time to upgrade any home, business, or gaming setup powered by Intel Core processors. Shop now at dell.com/deals to take advantage of huge savings and free shipping on everything. That's Dell. Dot com slash deals. Thanks for spending time with us. It is nine minutes now in front of the hour. On this morning, America's First News. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one.
1: Government ministers representing nearly 200 countries today agreed to a deal that calls for a transition away from fossil fuels after a previous proposal was met with heated and widespread backlash. The summit's presidency says the deal will deliver a shift that has the potential to redefine economies, U.S. climate envoy John Kerry.
0: The decision, supported by all nations of the world, Calls for transitioning away from fossil fuels in energy systems so as to achieve net zero by 2050. The
1: proposal calls for, quote, transitioning away from fossil fuels and energy systems in a just, orderly, and equitable manner, accelerating action in this critical decade so as to achieve net zero by 2050 in keeping with the science.
0: Number two. Over
1: 50 people have been injured in a large ballistic missile attack on Kyiv overnight. A hospital and residential building were hit in the attack, which comes a day after Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky was in Washington to meet President Biden and U.S. lawmakers in a bid to secure additional emergency funding. Biden told Zelensky the U.S. will stay by his side.
3: The world's watching what we do. We just send a horrible message to an aggressor and allies if we walked away at this time. And it would hurt our national security
1: Zelensky enjoyed a hero's welcome when he came to Washington almost a year ago a visit that included an address to Congress that was interrupted by several standing ovations
0: number three
1: Israel's military has begun pumping seawater into Hamas's vast complex of tunnels in Gaza part of an intensive effort to destroy the underground infrastructure that has underpinned the group's operations the move to flood the tunnels is one of several techniques Israel is using to try to clear and destroy them. Andre Brower, the Emmy-winning actor who would master gritty drama for seven seasons on Homicide, Life on the Street, has died at the age of 61 after a brief illness. He also starred in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She's worried about her motorcycle sitting idle, so she wants us to take it out once a day.
4: Here. I think you should do this. You're more the biker type. I've seen you use a toothpick in public.
1: Born and raised in Chicago Brower graduated from Stanford and got a master's degree from Juilliard. he most recently starred in the she said the 2022 film about the New York Times journalist who broke the story of Harvey Weinstein's years of sexually abusing women. Brower's first film role came alongside Matthew Broderick and Denzel Washington in glory
0: All right thank you Jen beware of burnout around the holidays. Help yourself by saying no to an invitation or two. A new and creative study from the American Psychological Association shows that rejecting undesired invitations to parties can be beneficial in avoiding holiday burnout. This is supposedly even more prominent over the Christmas season when invitations are typically higher. The study also found that even if the invitation comes from loved ones, they don't care about rejections as much as we imagine they do, even though we feel our friend or family member might be angry, disappointed, or even unwilling to invite us to future events. More than three-quarters of people in a survey confessed to accepting an invitation to an activity they did not want to attend because they were concerned about the consequences of declining it. Dr. Julian Givy from the American Psychological Association says while passing on a couple of invites is acceptable, keep in mind that spending time with others is how relationships develop, so don't decline every invitation. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Kashenka. I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.